I am brave. Roller coasters, love them. Scary movies, I've seen Ghostbusters like seven times. So yeah, I'm pretty much not afraid of anything. Except clowns. Never shared that with the fam, so do have an image to maintain. I am not really sure where the fear comes from. My mother says it's because when I was a kid I found a dead clown in the woods, but who knows? podcast where we're dead serious about horror movies this is the killer clown car of horror movie podcasting we have a bi-weekly show that's released every other friday and this is episode 127 it is a themed episode and also a versus episode our theme is creepy killer clowns and our versus bout is it from 1990 versus it from 2017 On Horror Movie Podcast, you generally hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City. And my co-host will be along here momentarily. Dr. Shock will be joining us. Meanwhile, Wolfman Josh is in Alaska on a uh, documentary filmmaking expedition that is potentially life-threatening. So I hope that the Wolfman returns with us because I'm genuinely worried for that guy. So uh, anyways, you know what? That's no problem. We do have a very special guest here to help uh, compensate for my inadequacies. (laughs) He is the author of The Age of Lovecraft. He is returning here to talk with us about it. He's also an expert on Stephen King books. So we welcome back our good friend, Carl Cederholm. Welcome, sir. Thanks. It is a blast to be here. You know what? It's it's uh, We were talking before we started recording. You've been on this show a few times now, and you and yeah. I have never actually talked because I happen to not be here each of those times, so I promise I wasn't <laughs> avoiding you. And, and when I heard your episodes, because I listened to all of them, I was like, wow, he's really good. I'm, I hate it that I wasn't there for that conversation. So thanks for giving me a chance, very, Carl. Yeah, you're very kind, and I'm glad to talk to you for sure. So. <laughs> okay, awesome. So what we're going to do, uh, as I said, Dr. Shock will be like barging in the door here pretty soon. He's uh, getting off of work and has family duties to attend to, but he will be here. We're going to start out talking about uh, creepy killer clowns as monsters, as a horror concept. And uh, the, the first thing I wanted to just ask you, Carl, was what are your thoughts about this? How do you think we've gone in this perverse culture of the horror realm? How have we gone from something as innocent and as, uh, you know, child-endearing <laughs> as clowns to them becoming a monster? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, you know, I have always wondered about that because clowns have never been an issue for me. Never, <laughs> never. And I mean, neither on the positive or the negative side. They're just kind of, I'm just kind of indifferent to them, I guess you could say. Oh, so you're not impressed with clowns is what you're I'm telling not. me. I'm not. Okay. I'm really not. <laughs> and, and I guess 
You know, I mean, I wish I had a, an awesome answer. I just think, I think we just don't know who it is underneath the mask sometimes. And yeah. this idea that it could be anybody is a little disconcerting. Mm-hmm. It and, is. And the fact that a clown is kind of a friendly, well, supposedly friendly, playful, you know, uh, good to kids, pleasant, whatever. Mm-hmm. But that that person can be secretly a killer or a someone who endangers children or whatever. Yes. I mean, they embody a lot of suspicion for us anymore, so. Yeah, and, and what you said there, I think, is really interesting because there is, there's the mask or, like, what's under the face paint aspect, but there's also <laughs> the, an added layer of mysteriousness or mystery to them because they often don't talk. Right. Which is all, and, yeah. and, and I'm not saying that, you know, someone who is, uh, you know, mute, I don't think that that is inherently creepy but when you have a masked person you don't know who it is and they're not saying they're not communicating with you yeah that's that's kind of a little bit unsettling you know we've talked before on our christmas horror episodes about how the concept of santa claus is actually quite creepy he's always (laughs) he's always watching you carl and and he sneaks into your house at night you know like i mean that's creepy and i think clowns are inherently creepy on some level as well Kind of like you don't know what they want, you know. It's just there, and and it's making all it's make trying to make you laugh, and you're kind of like I'm not really sure what this interaction is supposed to be about, yes. and so I'm just gonna play along until I can get away. In in fact, what you said <laughs> triggered this um some kind of weird carnal like memory for me. Do you remember in uh, Tim Burton's 1989 Batman when yeah. uh, Michael Keaton? the Bruce Wayne character is standing outside of the courthouse or whatever. And there are those clowns. It's the Joker's crew and they're like mimes or whatever. And they're kind of like dancing around him and like doing these things. And he's just kind of looking at them like half irritated, but he's trying to pay attention to what's going on. And what you said there is like, it's like, yeah, like Michael Keaton looks at them like, what do you want? Leave me alone. You know, cause you don't know what they want. You don't. You know, speaking of speaking of that Batman, you remember when uh, the Joker was dead at the end? And uh, mm-hmm. I'm not going to worry about spoiling that movie. It's been around for so long. But <laughs> okay. when the Joker is basically dead at the end and, and that little mechanical laughter still is going. Oh, yeah. Remember that? It's yes. really freaky. That is freaky. In fact, what I'll do for the listeners, in case they're unfamiliar with that, I will insert a little clip of that right here. Yeah, that's a little bit unsettling, actually. And plus, he's got that, like, he's dead, and he's got that frozen look on his face. Yeah. It's freaky. Yeah. And, and while, we're, while we're on the Joker, let's just, I was actually going to bring this up, because, yes, Batman, you know, typically, I mean, I don't think most people would consider that to be horror. But the concept of the Joker character, I mean, the more you learn about um who he is and what he does, especially in some of the like graphic novels, he is a, a psychotic killer. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and sure. you know, Jack Nicholson is plenty creepy, of course, and he does some really weird things in that 1989 Batman. But like for me, Heath Ledger is just the top and, and like his, his like disregard of life and the lives of others <laughs> is just really unsettling. Yeah, seriously. 
Just but, like total chaos, right? He's a figure of total chaos. That's right. He's one of those uh, people who just want to watch the world burn. So, yeah, that's right. So, Carl, just to dive a little bit more deeply into this clown concept, I, I think that if you look at them from their circus origins, okay, so you got um, people come to the circus, and we're talking about the common person off the street, the, the spectator, and you bring your family, you bring your children there, and those who are in the circus are um, often unusual. Like some some people call them circus freaks. Um, that's <laughs> probably not appropriate in our like <laughs> political politically correct culture now. But I'm just saying, like they are unusual. They have unusual talents. They do weird things. And it seems like the clowns are kind of like the opener. They're the buffer. They welcome in the you know the everyman, so to speak. And they're sure. like the gateway drug. And and so. The fact that they serve as like ambassadors for the so-called freaks, I think is kind of interesting. Yeah. But, um, you know, that was one thing I thought of. And uh, do you ever watch that TV show, uh, Modern Family? You know, I've never watched Modern Family. I, we, my wife and I, is it still, is it still on the air or is it just reruns now? I, I think it is still releasing seasons, but there's one episode, Carl, that I think you should check out. It's, it's actually my favorite. I don't watch the show faithfully, but in season one, episode nine, <laughs> there's a there's a show called Fizbo. And okay. um, and one of the characters is Fizbo the clown. And it's this whole thing about, you know, are clowns actually funny and entertaining or are they actually scary? And so the, the, clip, <laughs> yeah. the clip at the very opening at the top of the show comes from um, that episode there. But in, in that you know, there are lots of funny parts about this, which I won't spoil in case people go and check this out. But they say in there, there are four types of clowns. There's the tramp, which is like the sad clown, the Augusta clown. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. A white, okay. white face clown and a character clown. Now, are you familiar with clowning or any of those, those types? A little. I didn't really know that there were a lot of different ones. I, I'm more familiar maybe with the Harlequin um, with the Harlequin uh, uh, clown, but okay. uh, I, I don't have a ton of experience with it, you know. Okay, yeah, I, I, with I, the history, you know. Yeah, I wasn't even aware that they made distinctions like that, but apparently yeah. uh, there are. And and there's this this whole other thing. I think before we got into horror clowns, um, there were actually sad clowns, which was another like juxtaposition. You know, it was weird. Th- Thing where like it's the opposite of what that character is supposed to be they're supposed to yeah. be happy and spreading joy and you and and i think sad clowns that wasn't that a thing in the 80s like where people had sad clown pictures everywhere do you remember that <laughs> i don't okay. uh, i that's i grew up in the 80s and i don't mm-hmm. remember that's funny i mean that uh, I would like to know more about that. But, uh, yeah, I remember uh, it as a kid, like because I'm I'm 41, and so I was okay. a, I was a child of the 80s, and I and I remember seeing sad clowns everywhere, and I remember thinking as like a nine year old or whatever, I remember thinking this is so weird. Clowns are supposed to be happy. How come they're sad everywhere now? Yeah. You know, like yeah. and, and then and then our world somehow took that and twisted it further into making them, you know, malicious killers, which is yeah. very interesting. You remember the uh, in Poltergeist, mm-hmm. there was the little <laughs> clown doll that terrorized the 
yes. a boy in his bedroom, right? Yes. And so, and then you mentioned the Joker already from 1989 Batman. So maybe the 80s, maybe mm-hmm. there was a little bit of a spike going on with some of these evil yeah. clowns. Yes. And in fact, I, I would probably attribute Poltergeist and that whole clown doll attack thing. That that probably led to a lot of people being afraid of clowns, just like people ended up being afraid of the water from Jaws, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, Seriously. That's interesting. What about this? Do you know those masks in, um, in drama? Like uh, the, there's the tragedy mask and the comedy mask. Yeah. And they kind of look clownish. I, I've wondered about those. Um, do you think, I wonder if that plays into anything al- along these lines, because that's an ancient visual, right? That Does that date yeah. back to like Shakespeare's time at least, which I know he isn't necessarily ancient, but. Right. Um, I think, I think masks are, are way earlier than that. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm just going off the top of my head here, but I think they date back to ancient Greece. Wow. Okay. Um, masks for, for drama and that, and if I remember right, they were meant to convey those emotions to the larger audience so that, um, the actor didn't have to make those faces, um, and risk not having everyone see and understand, but Okay. Um, See, I knew it's great to have a smart guy on the show like you, Carl. <laughs> Thank you. I knew you'd have some uh, more insight than I did. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that 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 contrast, though. I mean, even those masks. I I just wonder. Okay, so that that has been a seed then, because that that clown look. I mean, this isn't really a very strong hypothesis, but it, but it occurs to me as I was looking at those preparing for this episode. That, that those can kind of um, show that there can be uh, pleasant or unpleasant clowns, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. But um, speaking of pleasant clowns, and um, I just want to welcome in our good friend here, uh, the mad doctor himself, Dr. Shock. We're just dialing him in, in on Skype. It's going to be nice to have him join us here. Welcome to the show, Dr. Shock. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Good to finally be here. Hey, Dave. And How you doing? Good, good. How are you doing? It's nice to be back with you. Good, yeah, I'm doing good. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Carl and I have been excited for your arrival. Send in the clowns, right? So, yeah. send in the clowns. Right? <laughs> that's, that's right. So, Dave, so we've been talking with the uh, listeners here about clowns as a horror concept, as monsters. And I just wondered what you thought about that as using clowns for horror. I mean, there are people, there are a lot of people who are. Uh, do have a fear of clowns, so I think it. I think they work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's kind of natural to have them um, uh, as sort of the uh, the the uh, the creatures of a movie, if you will. But I think the ones for me that that are the most effective are the ones that that are like they're a little more than just clowns. Um, and uh, we see that in like it mm-hmm. um, and killer clowns from outer space and and movies like that where it's not just the clown there's something beyond and then the the recent movie clown oh yeah you know that that it wasn't just a clown that there's something a little more there besides mm-hmm. um and those are the ones i think that are are the most for me the the had the best ability to actually sort of scare you um but clowns themselves yeah they're they can be they can be uh kind of creepy <laughs> yeah now do you think dave do the big shoes bother you? No, nah, I don't know if it's the big shoes. You know, for me, <laughs> clowns aren't aren't as, as 
clowns aren't as scary as they are just sort of depressing. Oh, really? You know, because when I, well, it, I don't know. There are some very good clowns out there, very good birthday clowns, and people who really love to do it. You know, and they they love to to, to be a clown. But for some reason, when when I see them depicted in movies, if they're not monsters, they're just sort of these like depressing people. See, Carl, a sad clowns. <laughs> I I, yeah. I think Dave picked up on that. We were talking about that in the in the eighties, Dave. Do you remember a lot of sad clown pictures and stuff? Yeah, I do, and and some of them like I know when when Jerry Lewis had his big return with uh, was it hardly hardly work I can't remember the name of the movie now. Yes, he, that's right. Yeah, he he played a clown, and boy, he was just a depressing clown. He was, you know, <laughs> this was this was not a guy who loved his job. They and, should get fired was, if they're sad. That's what I well, think. Yeah, but and and some of them are just sort of <laughs> uh, you know they're, they're, it's just a depressing. It's just they just seem depressing. Um, but again, and this, I don't mean to categorize all, all clowns that way. I know that there are, you know, I've, I've been to birthday parties for kids where clowns have come in, they've done a great job, and then, you know, the kids have really enjoyed it. But yes, um, that's what that's the impression I get from clowns. And maybe it's from the movies or or uh, TV or the, definitely that Jerry Lewis movie. Let's put it that way. Well, thank you for not offending our clown contingent, because we do have a subset yeah. of our audience who who do clowning so no i'm just kidding um one uh, one other thing about the joker because we were talking about the joker that came up in our conversation and and this is all kind of just um this will probably never happen but after christopher nolan's the dark knight we got that version of batman darren aronofsky who's releasing mother this weekend actually excited about that he he was interested in doing a very gritty uh like almost like true to life like what would it really be like if a real person tried to be a superhero version of batman right so it's kind of like that film um kick-ass if you remember that like you know because that person would get roughed up probably so he was going to do that and he wasn't going to have like bruce wayne's uh typical budget he was just going to kind of drive around and you know, try to be a superhero. And I would have loved to have seen, because that was supposed to be like, as, as they were talking about it, people were theorizing that's even going to go farther and darker than the Dark Knight. I, I wonder what that Joker in that realm would have been like. It would, it would have been interesting. I mean, for me, the only time I was ever really afraid of the Joker was in the Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, the old TV show was a comedy. So you're not right. going to be really afraid of the Penguin, the Joker, the Riddler, anybody from, from that group. Um, but yeah. then you got Jack Nicholson, I thought, did a really good job with the 89 Batman. I mean, he was very charismatic. Um, and uh, he had some scenes where he was, he, he was making me laugh. But again, I don't know that I was really afraid of, of his Joker because he was still sort of a clown. Um, but with with um, Heath Ledger's, he, it, the fact that he was, I mean, the, 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 one of my favorite all time lines is from that movie. And it's it's when Alfred's telling the story about when this they uh, they were going after these jewel thieves. And um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was if it was Africa or South America somewhere. And um, they were going after this jewel thief and they went in and they found a kid sitting there playing with one of the jewels, like one of the, this big diamond. And he said, some people aren't interested in money or power. They just want to watch the world burn. And that's what 
Heath Ledger's Joker was. Mm-hmm. He just he he got all that money together, and then he burned that money. And when he was had that whole thing with the boats at the end, <laughs> where he's like, if if one boat doesn't blow up the other boat, I'm going to blow them both up. You know he was going to do it. <laughs> you know, this was not an idle threat. This was going yes. to happen. Something was going to happen. That's right. And for me, that that's what made him more frightening. Just that that whole I don't care. That whole chaos and 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 um, it it worked. And and I think it I think it worked really well with that. And that's you know, it would have been interesting to see it go even darker. And then I mean, we got to like um, Suicide Squad, and again, it wasn't. It was a decent depiction of the Joker, but it still just wasn't quite... It didn't quite do for me what Heath Ledger's um, Joker yeah. did. He was almost too much of a, a caricature, the Jared Leto mm-hmm. version, but yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. it wasn't bad. It wasn't a bad d- depiction of the Joker. It just wasn't... I still don't think... I just, for me, you know, Heath Ledger's... He nailed it. It was the first time I said, yeah, this is, this is a frightening character. Right. Yeah, I'm with you. Well... The last thing just want to talk about here in terms of clowns as monsters, I, I think the creepiest aspect is it is that they are a particularly effective lore for children, and um, which is probably why uh, Pennywise, the dancing clown, you know, has uh, assumed that form. I mean, yes, pe- people are afraid of clowns, but the the lore of children. And, and what's cre- what's really creepy and very unsettling about this, and we'll probably touch on this later too, is that um, you know there's that whole like child abuse slash molestation aspect to it. That's very upsetting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Absolutely, absolutely. But and you got what was it? Who was it? Was John Wayne Gacy? Mm-hmm. You know the 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 actual killer clown. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean it. I think I think you're right. I think that uh, that plays a lot into it. Just the whole the whole connection with children, yeah. I think is what really even it was it, it even doesn't matter how old you are, it just is very unsettling. Mm-hmm. I was just trying to remember something about John Wayne Gacy, and it reminded me. I was trying to. I was going to look it up. It seems like there was a poem by E. e. Cummings that had a creepy clown or someone giving a balloon. Um, but it'll it'll have to come back to me later. But but there is something, you know, even a, like you say, clowns are a lure. And so, um, I know I was at a, I was at a baseball game the other day and I was watching the mascot play with kids. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking it's a good thing we trust mascots culturally, but, but you can't be sure those could be total creepers. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. That's very true. I was, was going to say, I think maybe in some ways the, maybe the shifting perception of clowns has to do with the shift in in our own kind of sense of safety, we're very paranoid about letting our kids run around outside. But like when I was growing up, we would just roam freely. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, and then this paranoia starts to come in and we don't want our kids to be kidnapped. We don't want them to get into a gang. We don't want them. And, and maybe, you know, something changed in our sense of innocence. Like maybe a, a clown represents potential for innocence, but also the potential for great evil. And we don't know which is which behind that makeup, right? And well said. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's a lot of what it is, is they're, they're hiding behind some makeup. And, and you don't really know who's who's on the other side of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and what's interesting to me is like, um, just to speak to your point, Carl, I was doing some research the other day around 
the World War One era, there was there was such a trust. Like in the beginning of the uh, U.S. Postal Service days, there were actually you can look this up. It's true, and this is crazy, but there were instances where people actually m- sent children through the U.S. mail. Yes, <laughs> wow. you, you can't mail a human being now. <laughs> <laughs> they have since decided this probably isn't a good practice. But um, there were instances where people trusted their letter carriers so much that they would send their babies, you know, to like the grandparents or whatever. And the letter carrier would would take care of that. And it's like you would never do that in this day and age. No. But back in the day, they just had a lot of trust. And it's it's just a whole different world. And even and even with with something and you know this is getting into a whole different realm, uh, different type of horror. But when when you look at um, you know having grown up Catholic, uh, there was a time there where the priest was one of the most trusted people, you know. And and um, when a priest said yes, I'd like to you know take your your child away for a weekend on a retreat, parents were like, oh, this is wonderful, you know. He's going to bring my child closer to God and. Um, you yeah. know, and then you see where that uh, ultimately went uh, for decades and decades. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Heartbreaking. Um, by the way, I, I remember the name of that E.E. E. Cummings poem that I was thinking of. It's called In Just. And it has a balloon man. It's not a clown, but it has this, this figure um, the poem describes as a goat-footed balloon man and so that's this even that like something that's innocent something that kids go get a balloon but it's goat footed which has a kind of diabolic overtone and whatever there's a there's a lot of this Mm -hmm. that we could find if we you know do enough googling (laughs) yeah yeah, certainly and uh, a moment ago you also you referred to mascots and i was um trying not to derail it but i couldn't resist um do you know what's the like probably the funniest thing to me in the world is um if you google <laughs> uh <laughs> sorry <if> you google <laughs> youtube videos of mascots fighting like like getting into actual fights that is freaking hilarious i just love when uh mascots are misbehaving like that it's it's like one of my favorite oh, little it- things i'm sure it happens uh, yeah i mean it's it's so funny because like they they still like and it's especially funny when they keep on their you know uniform their costume and they still fight in the costume man that's mm-hmm. priceless anyway i'm sorry i'm sorry to derail but one last thing on uh john wayne gacy here the killer clown he was and, and maybe that was a big part of starting us thinking about clowns in this like different way, the the evil mistrusted way, because I, I guess uh, his his big spree was in the seventies, right? Uh-huh. And um, and yeah, he did the clown thing, and they and it says in the research I read here, so he would he would attend like fundraising events, parades, children's parties, and he would dress as Pogo the clown, and this was a character he devised to, you know, I guess kind of get past the guards get past the gates so to speak and that's yeah it's uh just sickeningly scary i mean it's awful anyway listeners we would love to know your thoughts on clowns as monsters and uh let us let us know and i think one one other aspect i'm sorry to just keep droning on but you know to me one of my 
fears for some reason, something that really affects me is, is when people's, I, I don't want to say deformity, but when people's proportions are off, I used to have a night nightmare where like, um, you know, I would see my grandmother with a really long chin, like pointy, like I'm talking beyond Jay Leno's chin. Like, I mean, just really pointy <laughs> and, and it would like kind of freak me out. And I wonder if those bizarre proportions, I mean, I was joking with Dave earlier about the big shoes, but like the weird proportions of clowns, you know, I wonder if there's something about that unusual appearance that kind of throws us off as well, despite their colorfulness. <laughs> Anyways, I I know I'm just stretching now, yeah, but could be. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so listeners, here's what we're gonna do. Let us know in the show notes what you think about clowns as monsters as a horror concept, and um, Dave and I are gonna be continuing on into the show here, and we're gonna talk about a number of uh, clown horror movie titles for you. Um, won't be an exhaustive list, but we'll um, journey through and maybe. Uh, mention a few that we thought were interesting that you should maybe check out. And then we're going to be joined later on for our It Versus portion of the episode once again with our friend Carl Cederholm. Let's see you now. Maybe it's the water. The water? Maybe it's the sewer. Hi, Georgie. <laughs> All right, Dr. Shock. So um, as we have come to do on these themed episodes, we usually like to throw out a lot of uh, titles that pertain to the theme. Tonight's theme is creepy killer clown movies. And I'll tell you something, Dave, this was crazy. When I started researching this, I think we had a previous conversation with Josh where we were like, what, how many can there be? Like 10, 15? No. Right, right. I discovered... I'm not even joking. There are probably like, I don't know, somewhere between 30 to 60 clown movies. No kidding. Killer clown, creepy clown horror movies. It's nuts. So obviously this is not going to be an exhaustive list, but uh, upon going through my research, what I have picked out here, Dave, I haven't seen most of these to be honest, but I just want to throw out some titles that sounded interesting to me that I think the listeners should at least look up. And a lot of these are available on either Amazon Prime or for rental for a couple bucks. Okay. How's that sound to you? Yeah. All right. Now the, the first one I got like in terms of like, cause we're going to start with chronology, like way back in 1924, there was a movie called he who gets slapped. Did you see that That's one? A, I haven't, I haven't, but that Lon Chaney, right? Yeah. Lon Chaney's in it. Look at you. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. just know your stuff. Yeah. Directed. I've mm-hmm. not seen it. I've not seen it, but I would like to, I love Lon Chaney is just such he was such a good actor. He really was for that time period. He was so strong. Uh, a time in silent movies where 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 pantomime and and um, you know people just going over the top. Lon Chaney could do more just with a look on his face without doing that mm-hmm. than than any other actor. I mean, and um, he was. In, uh, I think Burt Lancaster said that his performance in the movie The Unknown was the the single greatest screen performance that he had ever seen. Um, and even Joan Crawford credited Lon Chaney with teaching her how to act for the screen. Oh, that's you awesome. know that's the type of influence he had. Um, and I, I, I get I, any time I could come across a Lon Chaney movie, I, I just love to check him out. Yeah, but John Lon Chaney Senior, 
Obviously, Lon Chaney Jr. is great also. Right. But Lon Chaney Sr., you know, he's just incredible. Yeah, Wolfman both, right? <laughs> so, yeah. But, right. but no, like this... Um, he Who Gets Slapped from 1924, it's probably not horror. It's more of a drama thriller, according to IMDb, but it's about a, a bitter clown who endeavors to rescue the young woman he loves from the lecherous count who once betrayed him. So um, that's kind of interesting. And then one other thing yeah. I wanted to throw out, since we had been talking about the Joker so much in this episode, um, it's my understanding, Dave, that the Joker was inspired by um, The Man Who Laughs from 1928. I had heard that before. Yes, yes. Again, um, it, it it probably has some horror elements to it, but that the, the clown tie-in comes from that, you know, well, no, the whole Joker it's, thing. It's, it's an accepted horror film. I mean, it okay. is. But I, I know it was, it was covered on Land of the Creeps when we were doing our sort of silent horror mm-hmm. uh, from the 1920s. I don't think I was on that episode, though. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that is, you look at that guy and that is the Joker, you know, that, that he looks just like the Joker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so I'm going to jump a long way, like I'm going to jump way up to 1980, because we're, like I said, it's not going to be an exhaustive list. There's a movie called Terror on Tour, which, cool. uh, I mean, knowing you, you've probably seen most of these things, but this is about a rock band called The Clowns that comes under suspicion of murder when several prostitutes are killed by individuals who are made up like the bands, like they, they're uh, dressed up like the band members. It's kind of no, interesting. That does not, that does not ring a bell at all. I've not seen that. Okay. And what about, um, and again, me too. I haven't seen most of these either. There's one called blood harvest from 1987. You've got a small town where people are being murdered and having their throats cut. And uh, that's clown related. It stars Tiny Tim, streaming on Amazon Prime right now. Then, then there's Tiny Tim is just so creepy. <laughs> Tiny Tim is kind of a creepy individual <laughs> yeah. to begin with, and you know maybe it's not so much him. Yes. What was that movie that used his tiptoe through the tulip song? Oh, the, uh, uh, was that Insidious? I honestly don't remember, to be honest. I'm I can't. Sorry. I can't I remember if it was failing you. If it was Insidious or not, but one of those movies, uh, eh, I'm not Insidious. I don't think it was that, but or maybe it was. I can't remember. But there's they use that tip that 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 Tiny Tim song, and it's just wow. It, so for all, ever since that, Tiny Tim in general just is kind of creepy to me. Mm-hmm. I was trying to look it up here real fast, and yeah, Insidious. You're correct. That's where it was. It wasn't okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I didn't want the uh, listeners to yell at us. Okay, so <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and then, uh, and another one that I'm I'm interested in. There, uh, these, these next couple are really intriguing. There's one called Funland from 1987. It's about a mob family that takes over this amusement park after the owner dies under mysterious circumstances. And I have I've heard of it, but I've not seen it. Okay, and what happens? The premise is the recently fired clown mascot seeks vengeance for the loss of his job, and that's streaming on Amazon Prime right now. Nice. Now, this one of all these that I looked up, this one is one that I'm um, most interested in catching up with. It's called Out of the Dark from 1988. And um, yeah, there's a newer film by that name, but it's not the same kind of deal. This is a beautiful young women who work at the offices of a phone sex company are being stalked by a psychotic killer. (laughs) So a clown killer. Um, And then, of course, 
you and I, I mean, I think you and I both love Killer Clowns from Outer Space 1988, oh, sure. right? Yeah, yeah. And I think everybody has seen that film. And then, of course, um, there's Clown House from 1989, which has a lot of baggage associated yeah, with yeah. it because of Victor Salva and his the and, molestation. And the young, young, yeah, the young <laughs> actor who was in it. Yeah, yeah and so... Yeah. I'll be honest, I haven't seen that film. I haven't seen Clown House, but... I, it doesn't make me want to run out and see it. Right, right. Yeah, you I know, mean, no. Ever since it's like when I found out that Corey Haim, the first time that he was sort of raped or was molested, was during the movie Lucas. Yeah, it makes it makes that a little hard to watch too. Now you know, just, right. just knowing that those sort of things, it does detract. So exactly, yeah. And so, and just a side note, we won't spend time on this now. Like uh, we had been talking this past week <laughs> quite a bit about the whole yeah. debate and everything, and we have opted on horror movie podcast not to review Jeepers Creepers three because of all this. Mm-hmm. But we, we may or may not be discussing that art versus the artist's behavior um, in the future. Or maybe we won't discuss it at all. To hell with it. That's Clown House. Moving on. There's a movie yeah. called Carnival of Souls right. from 1998. And this is not the 1962 version. But this is intriguing. I mean, it, it's it's kind of, it's based off the same written material. I think it's kind of a remake of it. But it looks like they take a different direction. This young girl witnesses the brutal rape and murder of her mother by a circus clown. And begins to have nightmares when the carnival comes back to town. When she's an adult. Oh. So that sounds pretty intense. And, yeah. then, and then from, we only have a few more, Dave. And we got The Clown at Midnight from 1999. You got seven teenagers that are stalked by a murderous clown while uh, refurbishing an old opera house. So that sounds good. Yeah. Now, this next one isn't really horror. It doesn't sound like it sounds more of a crime thriller. But man, I was intrigued by it. It's called Vulgar. From 2000, it's about a man who performs as a children's birthday party clown, and he tries to piece his life back together after being gang raped. Oof. Yeah, I mean that sounds that sounds like a just a very unusual, unique film, and that's uh, streaming for two bucks on Amazon. And then, okay. and then there's a clown from 2007. This isn't the more recent one. This is just called Clown. It's about five college students who spend a weekend in a desolate cabin in the mountains only to be terrorized by a man dressed as a clown. Now, I really want to see that, Dave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Okay. And then a couple uh, newer ones, uh, Clownstrophobia from 2009. And, and some of these have really low ratings on IMDb, just to warn people. But this is about a psychologist that hosts this therapy session for teens who are afraid of clowns. And it's the night that uh, the killer clown brother escapes the institution that he's been held in, of course. Um, and then there's Stitches from 2012. I think everybody's that I've, familiar. That I've seen. Yeah, that I've seen. What would you think about that one? It, it was fun. I mean, it's it's comedic in, in, some, in some ways. Um, well, I think it is part comedy, actually. Uh, but it was, you know, it worked. I liked it. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that the lead actor is a is a comedian. Actually, he's a he's a comedic actor. Oh well, that's appropriate um, then. Yeah, like or the the you know the playing the clown. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Okay, that's awesome. So yeah, that's called Stitches. It's from 2012, and it's about a clown that comes back from the dead to haunt those who took his life during a party mishap. Yes, so that's interesting. And then you got one that sounds really. Uh, 
uh, <laughs> it's called Sloppy the Psychotic from 2012. Hmm. And it's about a, a man whose only goal in life was to bring joy to children, of course, as Sloppy the Clown. <laughs> but um, there was a cruel twist of fate with his beloved job. And then he goes into business um, <laughs> in the evil clown business, I guess. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm taking it. Anyways, uh, there's a movie called Prank. In the summer before their senior year, three three teens tried to execute the perfect prank on a bully, but instead they executed him. And that's from tw- 2013. That's a pretty intriguing wow. premise. Yeah. And then, of course, Circus of the Dead 2014. You get a man who becomes um, wrapped up in a morality game when the circus comes to town and a, a sadistic clown forces him to examine the things in life that he takes for granted in horrific ways. Okay. So interesting. Mm-hmm. And then Dave, we all saw this and I think it's one of our favorite clown movies of all time, which is clown from 2015. Yes. That's yeah. the, the John Watts film about a father who finds a clown suit for his son's birthday party only to realize that he cannot take it off because it's cursed. <laughs> and it's what it's what he becomes mm-hmm. in this suit, I think, is what really, for me, made the movie. And they even built this whole mythology yes, um, and, uh, around it. And I thought that was one of the best elements of the, of the film. Amazing. You know, and, and, and he's going after kids, you know, just like, just like Pennywise. He's going after, he's targeting children. Yeah. And so, yeah, if there's one... I mean, aside from the It movies we're going to be talking about here shortly, if there's one clown movie, horror movie that you're going to take away and see, I mean, that would be the one I would recommend personally, but uh-huh. it's amazing. And then, of course, there was Rob Zombie's 31 from 2016, yes. which I personally even, didn't love. Even No, I didn't either. It was, it was uh, in my opinion, it was even taking the, uh, the Halloweens into account, I think it's probably his weakest film. Um, just because it, 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 you know, he, he set it up as a, you know, that these characters just set up real quick. These characters are, are sort of kidnapped on the road, taken to this, uh, remote location where they're set loose and stalked by clowns. And they're, they, the idea is for them to survive. Uh, but, and each clown has its own little, uh, gimmick, let's say, mm-hmm. you know, these brothers who come out with the, I don't know, it's a chainsaws or something. And then you have, uh, a little person. Uh, dressed as a clown. And of course, the probably the best aspect of it was, um, I can't remember the actor's name now, um, but the one who played the clown, he was in the opening credits, or in the, the, uh, the very opening sequence. He oh, was yeah. one of the strongest aspects of that film, I think. Um, you know, but even, hey, look at even, even Rob Zombie's um, House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects, you have Captain Spaulding. Oh, yeah, totally. He's a clown is in, in those, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I still I love that opening sequence of House of a Thousand Corpses. It's uh, amazing. House of a Thousand Corpses. I absolutely love that, the way that Sid Haig plays that. I'm with you. Um, when the robbers come in, I, I, I love that. I absolutely love it. And, and by the way, that's uh, Richard Brake, who plays Doomhead Richard Brake, in yes. 31. Doomhead. Yeah. He was... For me, he was the best part of that movie. Yeah, no, he, hands down, no doubt about it. He was the best part. Totally agree. He brought it. Yeah, yeah. So that's thirty-one. And then there's a movie called Clown Town from 2016 about a group of friends who get stranded in a small d- deserted town and they find themselves stuck by a violent gang of psychopaths dressed as clowns. Yes, and it sucks. Yeah, right. I know. It is I not a good that. movie. It is not a good movie. There are, and it could have been. 
And mm-hmm. it could have been because so the clown, the, the guy they had to play the main clown, he was creepy. He really was. And I think they could have done more with it, um, but they didn't. And it was just bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right about that. And uh, of course, uh, there are a couple like 2017 new clown movies. You got Circus Kane, K-A-N-E, mm-hmm. about a circus, circus master that invites a group of social media stars to his house of haunts. And anyone who can make it out before being scared into submission will earn $250,000. So, one of those uh, game-type movies. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, just just a couple more. Uh, Clown Tergeist from 2017. That's Is that a trauma. That's a terrible name, right? Clown Tergeist. That, that's trauma. I mean, they, they've done poultry. They did poultry guys. So I didn't know if this was uh, right. another take on that. I know. Are they gonna? Are they gonna do like uh, uh, shark shark Tergeist as well? Like at yeah, some point. Right. Uh, yeah. Shark Tergeist. Shark Tergeist versus Killer Clown. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, man, uh, <laughs> the person who reviewed this on IMDb wrote. Clownercist. <laughs> anyway, um, Clowntergeist. Emma, a college student with a crippling fear of clowns, must come to face to face with her worst fear when an evil spirit in the body of a clown is summoned to terrorize the town that she calls home. And and then of course, Dave, there's the Killjoy series. Have you seen any of those movies? No, no, I have not. Well, the big honorable mention that I'll. I'll also recommend to people and you and I both really appreciated this one is all hallows Eve from 2013. Oh yeah, definitely. And that has, because the, that mm-hmm. has a clown in all of the segments. That's what he did. To, what it is. These were three short films. Yes. That this director made over time, you mm-hmm. know, these, these were not made at the same time. And what he did was he brought them together to, to almost like a, um, uh, you know, an uh, anthology, anthology. Mm-hmm. and horror anthology, and there is the clown in each one. Now, the sequence featuring the clown is far and away the best sequence in the movie. There's yes. no doubt about it. Yes, I didn't dislike the other sequences. I thought I kind of enjoyed them, but the one with the clown is the absolute best. And that guy does a good job as that clown because this is the yes. type. When you think of a sca- when you think of a frightening clown. This is the type that you think of. <laughs> He's very scary. It's Art yeah. the Clown is the character name, and it's played by Mike Gianelli, and it is definitely worth your time, listeners. So check yes. out All Hallows Eve from 2013. It was written and directed by Damien Leone, and yeah. uh, you should certainly check that out. You can stream it on Amazon for 3 bucks, and I think it's worth it. If you, if you want some creepy killer clown action, do it. You'll get it in that third segment, and that's the longest segment in the movie, I'm pretty sure, mm-hmm. with the clown. And, uh, yeah, it brings it to. That's right. Yeah, and um, so I, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I actually made a, a gigantic list, and I'll just warn listeners right up front. I mean, some of them are more clown-related than others. Like, some of them will have, like, a clown character or a clown aspect, like uh, Poltergeist is on this list because of the, the clown. So, no. So not, oh, yeah. not all of these are 100% killer clown and movies. And the, there was a movie that I had done uh, a couple years ago for the uh, 31 Days of Horror called Amusement. Oh, yeah. Where mm-hmm. one of, like, the, in, the, in, the, in the trailer, they play it up to be a clown sort of film. And it's not. Mm-hmm. But it does have a good scene, you know, it does have a really good scene featuring a clown. Yeah, exactly. 
And um, I don't always do this, but I just want to give a shout out. And a big part of my research, one of the most helpful um, sites that I found, which you did too, Dave, was um, moviepilot.com. They have a really nice yep. clown horror movies um, article that they did. They must have put a lot of time and work into it. And I, I really in, enjoyed reading down through that. So I'll include in the show notes, just for fun, a number of other clown titles that I found. I mean, seriously, people, there are like, it's got to be somewhere like 50. I mean, there are lots of wow. killer clown materials out there for people who are I, interested. I believe it. I'm sure we're going to have comments. I can't believe you didn't mention. I know. On the blank. I know. You know, I, but I mean, so, we still from this is not an exhaustive list, obviously. No, no. Yeah. I, in, in part, in part because we're exhausted. Yeah, that that's true too. Yeah, like yeah, Dave's gone on. Uh, I can't even count how many hours you've been awake. I, I, it was a four a.m. start, so this is now hour twenty-one. Okay, yeah, uh, exactly. for me. Yes. Yeah, that's right. So that's why this. And I, did, I, mm-hmm. I think I took a ten-minute nap at some point today, and that was about it. Yeah, so that's why our um, the middle segment of our uh, you know show is a little bit thinner on the clown clown movies than you might have <laughs> right. liked, listeners, but. That's okay. So we're about to bring you um, the the main event to the show. Hey, this is Matt Greenberg, screenwriter of 1408. You are listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we are dead serious about horror movies. All right. And at this point in episode 127 of Horror Movie Podcast, it's the moment you've all been waiting for. We're going to do the it versus portion of our show. And we're welcoming back our uh, special guest, Carl Cederholm. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Great to be here as always. Typically in the past, when we would do a versus episode, we would like talk about, you know, one movie and then split it up and just completely separate talk about the other movie. But we thought maybe it would be fun if this time we blend all this together in a huge circus madness where we're talking about the 1990 film as well as the 2017 film. But of course, the new movie is our is our main purpose tonight. So let's move into our feature review of It from 2017. What a nice boat. Do you want it back? Um, yes, please. Look like a nice boy. Do you want a balloon too, Georgie? I'm not supposed to take stuff from strangers. Oh, well, I'm Pennywise the dancing clown. Now we aren't strangers, are we? I should get going now. Without your boat? Here. Take it. So the premise is the film takes place in Derry, Maine, and it's the late 1980s. And there is a rash of disappearances, kids and teens, and a group of of kids that go by the name of the Losers Club. They start to realize that that they all have had experiences witnessing this clown Pennywise terrorizing them at various points. And they have to find the courage to um, fight the clown, um, which they do. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) they are also surrounded by absent adults or abusive adults and bullies that they have to deal with. So it's a pretty bleak world. Yeah, this film is an excellent example of um, horror happening to those who deserve it least. I mean, you have kids who yeah. are um, obviously vulnerable because they're minors and they're children. Um, and then, you know, they are already 
in in the fire because like they they have bullies and they also have abuse which is really depicted strongly in this film i i mean there's no i think it's crystal clear in this movie oh yeah yeah, yeah. So I think more so more so than um, than the other movie. I think there was abuse. Mm-hmm. Like I'm thinking specifically um, the girl. Oh yeah. Uh, obviously, this was a t- the '90 was a TV movie. Yeah. So I'm guessing they had to clean that up a bit, but you definitely get a, a much stronger um, idea of what's going on in in this newer film. Absolutely. I th- I think so too. I, I think the film actually did a pretty good job with that because mm-hmm. I, I know in the in the book. Um, there, it's pretty, it's pretty strong that, that Beverly is, has a creepy relationship with her father at the least. Mm-hmm. Um, and the film I thought brought that out nicely so that we get a sense of really what she has to deal with, how strong she is in the face of all that. In the miniseries, we get some of, we get some of her strength in her relationship with her husband, with her husband or boyfriend, but it's not quite as well done, right? Capturing that sinister right. side. Yeah, I agree. So, Carl, just in general terms, then, I mean, wh- how did you feel about uh, this new version of it? You know, I really liked it. Um, I and part of it is I've just been so excited for this new wave of Stephen King adaptations that we've been seeing. There just seems to be kind of a renaissance of King stuff going on. And uh, I haven't seen The Dark Tower yet, but from all I hear, it was pretty disappointing to a lot of people. <laughs> yes. And and so I was just ready for it to be a satisfying, good film, and I thought it was. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's funny because I really, really liked the clown in it. I really liked watching Pennywise do his thing. And... Um, but even having said that, I really thought it was about those kids. Like, I just fell in love with those kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. No, I, 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 I absolutely agree. I, I think that, um, you know, as, as good as Pennywise was in the new movie, um, one of the biggest strengths was the, the kids. I thought all the, the, the actors, the young actors, um, were were strong, or you know, the, the main ones definitely were were strong in this. And I thought that I got more of a sense of the camaraderie this time around, even than in the '90 movie. And I don't think it was portrayed horribly in the '90 movie, but I really got a, a much stronger sense of it in this in this newer film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, almost more chemistry. I think maybe they had better actors. Or somehow yes. better, you know, better rehearsals or better something that brought them together in such a way that you that you believe they were lifelong friends, you know? Right. 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 Yeah, I mean, I, I really, I agree. The these the performances of these kids and the uh, the chemistry between all of them, they really do seem like you know junior high, middle school bunch of friends. I mean, I, that felt authentic to me and all the, the joking around and the harping and, and I, and I have not read the novel, but I, I was told on a movie podcast weekly, our sister show, cause, cause at first I'm like, wow, they, they do kind of talk like sailors and, and like, I don't remember, you know, being, you know, my friends and I being quite, you know, that vulgar all the time. But, um, 
you know, my buddy who read the book said, yeah, well, it's like that in the novel for sure. So would you agree with that, Carl? Oh, yeah, definitely. And <laughs> and the novel is set in the, when they're kids, it's set in the 1950s. And then when they're adults, because in, the, you know, the movie's going to be split into two parts. But as you know from the miniseries, a, a big part of the plot is about them getting back together as adults to fight Pennywise again. Yes. Um, but anyway, um, these you have all these kids that are swearing like sailors and stuff in the 1950s, which which breaks a little bit of a stereotype that that I have about kids in the 50s being pretty, you know, pretty innocent in their language. But but King really captures this sense of childhood as a time of of just being able to say all that stuff and 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 experimenting with your language and and your sense of identity and and the way that young boys bond together with by being vulgar or or <laughs> or being silly and yeah. and it has a lot of that kind of snappy dialogue um like in a stand by me kind of a thing where for sure you learn about who these guys are by the way they talk yeah. but it's like sweet you know mm-hmm. so. it is it's endearing because like even though there's there's definitely like a little machismo a little macho type facade you know that they're just actually insecure and right. it's depicted very well. I mean, that's, I can't believe, I mean, some of these, I would even argue that some of the performances, and remember, we're talking about a horror film here, which doesn't always have like the, the best acting, but the, the kid who plays Eddie, Jack Dylan Grazer, I think that kid actually has like nuance to his delivery. I mean, oh, yeah. incredible yeah. actor. Absolutely. But... I would agree, and I I, I like like I liked a, a good number of the kids. They all had very strong personalities, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't like I said I don't know that you got that as much from the '90 film. And I'm not trying to de- you know I'm I'm not trying to dump all over that one, but I did think that you know in, in the '90 film it was just always kind of like okay, well these are friends kind of hanging around. In this one, you really see the individuality of each one and, and, and what it is that's sort of bringing them together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And because of that strength in this film, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons, like, I mean, I, there are um, many reasons I think that this new film is better than the 1990 version. And I do like the 90 version, but I think one of the reasons it adds so much power is because you... You genuinely care about these characters. I cared about the 90s group as well, but I'm just saying that when I, you kind of fall in love with them, like just really get attached to them and you get the sense that it feels like they actually care about one another and so then you care about them. It's it's like, as a viewer, I, I felt like I was like number eight in the Losers Club. You know, I, I felt like I was <laughs> yeah. among them right. and one of them. So like, you know, I... I I was invested and I think that's one of the most effective tools that a film can, can use on its audience is to be able to get you to care about the characters and what's happening to them, which this achieves in spades. Uh-huh. I agree. And you know, I think uh, if I can make a, if I can make a claim on behalf of Stephen King, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I think he would agree that, that a character-driven story is is more even more important than the scares, right? That that you obviously want scares and you want those Pennywise scenes, but but my sense of him, you know, hopefully hopefully I, I have a good sense of this. I don't know, but 
is that he really wants these things to be character-driven because if you fall in love with the characters, you're more likely to feel their vulnerability and be scared with them. Right. You know? Definitely. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Now, um, I, I'm so glad. And I, again, I apologize to the listeners that I have not read the novel It. And then the problem is I'm just, I'm just not much of a reader. I'm sorry. I know that's a failing. But I'm glad Carl is here to help out with this. So... Upon revisiting the 1990 version, I just really feel like, and you can tell me if the book is this way, but I just really feel like the structure of that film is almost, for lack of a better word, it's a little bit monotonous because of the way it's structured with, um, you know, they basically have to do kind of these flashbacks to give you the backstory to seven different backstories in a row. And it's kind of the same thing over and over. (laughs) And I think in, um, you know, I can imagine if it were that way in the novel, I don't know if it is, but like Stephen King would definitely have a lot more room to breathe in something like that. But in, in even just a miniseries, a three hour miniseries, even in that time, like that first hour and a half of the film, it's just like, okay, here's this thing and backstory, this thing, backstory, this person, backstory. And it's just a little monotonous. But But I love in the 2017 version how they just primarily stuck okay this is the story of the kids when they're in junior yeah. high what do you think carl yeah so i i liked that a lot too because like i'm a big fan of the book um but i and but the book kind of has this kind of crab-like movement where you're you're getting introduced to these characters as adults and you do some of the backstory but it kind of moves around sideways it's like a crab crawl and, oh. and you don't really know, it, like the plot is there and you're moving forward, but it's, it just gets a little bogged down in, in places. And, and I liked the fact that this film just gave us all the kids mm-hmm. and we can fall in love with them as kids. And then we can revisit them as adults in this, in the next installment. Um, but the book, you know, the book works really well because you get so deep into these characters' minds, both as adults and as children, that you you find your way, they, or I should say, they find they find their way into our hearts pretty effectively as well. The miniseries, I think, tries to capture that, but it just it just can't do the details justice that King gives us in the, in the book, and and so it just feels a little tedious. It probably would have been a pretty awesome, like six episode miniseries, but they just couldn't do that. Yeah. You know? mm, so. Right. Yeah, that's my, like, I didn't mind that structure as much. I thought that was kind of interesting. They, the, the person sort of reflecting and thinking back, okay, or oh, here's what happened. I liked that structure in the, in the 90 version, um, but I think you're right. I mean, even with it being a three hour, it, it does feel like some of them are a little not rushed, but maybe a little more abbreviated than they needed to be. Yeah. Or than they should have been, not needed to be, but than they should have been. Um, and, and it's from, you know, it's, it's just interesting how this new movie sort of sheds light on that because with the 90 version, you're just kind of like, well, yeah, this is, this is kind of it. This is the movie, you know, and this is, uh, this is a, a good film and this is a, a good horror film here. Um, and then you, you get this one and, and you see how they do things a little differently. Like, yeah, like, like I definitely felt that um, the 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 young girl, her character, mm-hmm, both. I I got um, 
who was Beverly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I definitely got the sense of her, uh, like the strength of that character more in this newer film than I did in the, in the previous film. Yes. She was good. Oh, with yeah. the sling, she was good with a slingshot in the 91. And I'm not saying that she didn't have some strength. She does, you know, um, she does, but a, a little more meek, even as an adult, uh, a little meeker. And yes, yeah, she does. She does stand up to, um, you know, that, uh, that abusive boyfriend, um, in the 90 version, but, I just felt like and when she's with this group and there's definitely more of a strength to this character, we got more of a sense of what she was going through because she was getting bullied at school as well. And, and, um, and at home, uh, you know, a really bad situation at home, but that just got her into this group even, even deeper, um, you know, in, in this new film and, and she found strength with this, these kids mm-hmm. and, and you really got a sense of that. But I mean, even, even with Annette O'Toole in the 90 version, there's still sort of a, uh, like a wound, she's sort of wounded and, uh, and, and just not quite as strong a character. No, I don't know how it was portrayed in the book. I don't know if making her as strong as they did in the new movie was a deviation from the book. She's, she's pretty, she's pretty strong in the book. There's, there's a, there's, she's, a, she's, a, I mean, without getting lost in all the details, she's pretty, she's well-developed. Okay. She's, she's uh, but I think I, I think one of the secrets to Bev is you have to you have to capture her strength and her vulnerability kind of wrapped up into one. And mm-hmm. I, I think it seems like in the miniseries, if I'm remembering it right, it seems like especially as an adult, she's just a lot more. She's almost like kind of I don't know the word like wispy or something like. They yeah, don't almost really like know. sort of a little more all shucks. And I'm thinking of the one she's standing out there, you know, and um. You know, after they're 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 standing outside the hospital, and I think she has a line. It just always kind of struck me as kind of clunk, struck me as a little a little clunky, actually. Is like, why is he so mean? You know, why does he yeah. have to be so mean? Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> you know that I was always kind of you know that's that's a little strange for to say after everything you've been through <laughs> with uh, with this. Seriously. Seems, yeah. It, it, that just didn't. I didn't really. That didn't work for me. I was like, "Wow, that's." I was. It was just unusual. It, it made her seem a little less. It didn't. To me, that made her seem like you're saying not not quite as strong. Mm-hmm. Right. She needs to be super super strong, um, but like I say, also very vulnerable. Uh, I, I love the scene in the in the 2017 version where she cuts her hair. You yeah. know, and, and you're, mm-hmm. you're getting that you're getting that sense of like she she feels like she needs to do something. And this is what she's going to do, and it and it somehow makes her tough. But um, anyway, viewers yeah. can, if they haven't seen the film, they can enjoy discovering what what that's like and watching that. So yeah, and and I like what you talked about there, Carl, about the secret to her and and striking that balance between strength and vulnerability. And I think that the way that that's done with her character and a lot of these characters, in fact, is their strength in numbers like individually i mean just like in any horror movie trope where where you know when they're alone when they're individuals they get picked off and and, and that was even depicted pretty well in the 1990 version as well mm-hmm. just that yes. if you're by yourself you're going to get it but if we band together then we're stronger and yeah she rose to the occasion her strength lies and all of their strengths lie within the group and i think that's very cool yeah. yeah, seriously. So I, I agree. 
I was going to ask you guys, I've been very curious about this. Just uh, in the 1990 version, it was always a yellow balloon. But now in this 2017 version, it's a red balloon. Any thoughts on that? I, I'm, I was wondering what it was in the book. <laughs> to be honest, if even if it even got into the color, I'm guessing it got into the color of the balloon. I assume I need to grab my copy and and see if I can find the sewer scene real quick. I I can't remember the color. I know we're putting this, Carl on the spot. He, he, he you haven't read the no, book no, no, in a while. Was, huh? I didn't, and I didn't mean to do that. I, Not I, you, I was Dave. Just sort of genuinely wondering, you know, which it was in the book. Right. Because right. you're right. It's it's very different. It's different from one to the other. And. I didn't know if if King. I'm guessing King had spelled that out. In yeah. The book, but you know, I and I I did obviously. I don't know. I haven't read the book, so. No, you're good. I no one in particular is putting me on the spot. I just sometimes remember <laughs> books a little more thematically than. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm looking at the. I'm, I'm looking. Oh, so in the book when he is uh, when he is talking to Georgie um, in the storm drain. He offers Georgie a balloon and he says, I've got red and green and yellow and blue. And wow. so, and then that's when they start talking about, do they float? And, you know, and so I'd have to look and see if, if we get specific colors elsewhere, but um, at least in this particular moment, the clown um, is described as having a, a lot of different colored balloons um, in his hands. And so interesting, maybe, I'm speculating here, but maybe they just picked one color for the sake of ease, maybe trying to develop some kind of a a color motif or something. Um, right. I don't know. It's a really good question, actually. I'll, I'm going to think about that a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, and I'd love to, if the listeners have a, a theory or any insights on the yellow versus red balloon for this, I'd love to hear it. And, and do you think that another change between the two films yeah, because I noticed too, like the original um, film or the 1990 version starts in the 50s. And as you said, the book does too, um, the late 50s. And so putting this in the 80s, is that just a way to update and modernize it so they can have, um, you know, in this next, you know, cell phones and stuff in this next version? Do you think like what what do you think that the reasoning was there if you had to speculate well, I mean, if you look at the in 1990 when that movie came out, you go back to the 50s, and that's like I don't know, was it late 50s or I can't remember, but 58. What? What was it? 58. 58. Okay, so mm-hmm. you're looking at 32 years in the past. Well, now 20, 2017, you go 32 years into the past, and you're you're in the 80s. Right. Yeah. So just the modern. So then. I think it. I think yeah. I think it's that's what they were looking to do, and then when they. When they have the 27 years, so then that's going to be what from this movie? It's going to be um, into, into 2015 or something, I think it'll be. Well, when they go to um, 27 years later. Yeah, it has to be 27. Yeah, probably 2015, something like that. I haven't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, because Pennywise, and, and this is um, a very, very mild spoiler if people are unfamiliar with all this. Pennywise. In the 1990 version, and I believe in the book, right? Um, he only he comes around every 30 years, but in this new movie, they said 27, and that's probably because what yeah. it's been 27 years since the 1990 film, yes. right? So yes, right. that was kind of neat how they did that. But um, but no, I okay, I get you. 
It mm. it might be twenty seven in the book as well. Actually, I think, oh really? Okay. Yeah, I think twenty seven is is actually the right number. Um, and there are occasionally Penny. So if I remember right, I think Pennywise does. I think there there can be some killings or some disappearances, but every twenty seven years is when they really spike. And there's usually some kind of a opening, like Georgie, for example, dies. I think like the year, like nineteen, like if if the main thing is fifty eight, he dies a little bit before that. Mm-hmm. So like there's usually like some kind of an initial sacrifice or killing. Yeah. And then and then if and then some time goes by, not tons but some, and then this whole wave opens up. It's like it starts with a sacrifice and then it escalates. Yeah. So that reminds me, and it reminds me of this like structure in nature, because when I was revisiting the 1990 version, I I wrote it down in my notes. I could show people if they don't believe me, because as they were describing about how he only comes around, you know, every 30 years, as they say, um, I wrote down, oh, this is just like cicadas, you know, like the locusts, you know, like every 17 or whatever, like they're actually underground for all those years and then they come like a plague. I mean, I'm from part of the country in Davis too, where you'd get those suckers and it was like, it's hardcore. When we we first moved into our house, (laughs) they had come back Mm -hmm. and I mean, it, it was awful. You could hear nothing for three solid months, but these things, yes. um, in the air. And when I would walk from my car to my front door, which is about 13 steps, Mm -hmm. I would get in the house and I would have two of them on me. Yeah. It was so regularly gross and overwhelming. If people aren't familiar with the cicadas, you know, the locusts, they're like uh, big black grasshoppers in their they're freaky, but um, so I wrote that down in my notes as I was revisiting the 1990 version. I'm like, oh, just like cicadas, I'm gonna bring this up on the podcast, and then they beat me to it in this 2017 movie, and one of the characters actually says that, and I'm like, yeah, oh, he took my thing, but I, I think that's really cool <laughs> how they likened it into that, and and cicadas, it happens the same way that that Carl just described, where there there was that was that initial sacrifice, and then it's a huge wave. Well, when the cicadas come back, you know, you see a few of them because a few of them come out like tiny bit early and then you're just yeah. like, you know, it's a tidal wave of them everywhere. So that's cool. Right. Yeah. yeah I don't have any experience with cicadas, but that is very interesting. <laughs> it's so it's really overwhelming. It is. I mean, I, I we had a party for a birthday party for my son and my uncle was driving up this way. He thought he had to pull over his car because he thought something was wrong with his car when he started to hear the noise. Um, but he turns <laughs> off the car and he's still hearing it. So mm-hmm. that was when he sort of uh, realized what was going on. I mean, it was almost some days it was almost deafening. Oh, where yeah. You could hear nothing. I mean, if you see a car going down the road, you couldn't hear the car because you're hearing these cicadas. Seriously. It was really something. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is a, it's a plague. It's, it's very bizarre. Um, so let's talk about Pennywise because, and and I get a little preface to this. So when I went to the theater to see this the other night, I went to the 1030 showing the late night screening. And, um, when I walked in, I I went to like print out my ticket from the machine and I looked up and there was a very convincing Pennywise standing there with some red balloons. And it, it actually startled me. I kind of jumped. Right. And it was really funny. (laughs) 
And I'm like, oh, that's cool. So our local theater here, the the Megaplex at Thanksgiving Point, I'm like, oh, they, uh, you know, they hired somebody to be in a clown suit. And that's a great suit, great costume. Anyway, I walk into the theater and I sit down and it's almost time for the movie to start. And Pennywise walks in with those balloons and and people, it, it's filled up and, like the theater is packed. And people like gasp, like there are actually some people who are scared. They're kind of freaked out. Like, and then everybody starts clapping and then Pennywise does a, a, a bow. And honestly, it was like very um, androgynous situation. I couldn't tell if the, the person in the clown makeup was male or female, which is also kind of fitting and neat. But anyways, so this clown is walking up. I always sit in the top back row center. Everybody knows this. The clown is walking up, walking up and we're in a huge auditorium and I'm like, you know what, that, that freaking clown is going to sit right by me. I know it. And I'm going to have to watch this movie with Pennywise. And and that's exactly what happened. Two seats well, down. If, if he's carrying balloons, he's going to have to sit toward the back. Yeah. Well, they actually held, the theater people held the balloons for him. Oh, okay. But, right. but this, this clown sat two seats to my left and there was like nothing in between. So I had this. A very unique experience of sitting and watching this movie it and then looking to my left and just seeing Pennywise sitting there. <laughs> it you was incredible. That's, that's really that's really cool and it's really awesome that somebody did that, that they came dressed as Pennywise. I think that's great. But I would have gotten the hell out of that theater and I would have gone to another show. <laughs> to be honest with you, that would've Seriously, and I I did take a picture. I'm kind of shameless. Like there were lots of people bugging this person for a picture, and Mm -hmm. and I'm Mm -hmm. I try to be a considerate person. And so when Pennywise was out in the lobby, I took a picture. I snapped one, so I'll put it in the show notes so you can see just how how convincing it is. But um, I honestly during the film, like at first I was really uncomfortable with this, and then I just kept looking over, and I'm like, okay, that 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 thing better not come over here and bite me or something. But what was even funnier and I'll move off this um, when people would walk up to their seats, you know, they were kind of late and it was the row in front of us and they would see, look up and see that clown. They almost like fell over the seats. They would be so scared. (laughs) And the clown was a great actor. I mean, um, just played it really cool and just stared and like did the little finger where you like tell somebody to come here and this is really creepy. It was amazing. Anyways. That's, that's really cool. That That's awesome. Yes. Yeah. That is, I wish I'd had something like that at my <laughs> theater, but, uh, but no. So, okay. So let's talk. Everybody knows. I mean, let, let's first celebrate Tim Curry and his uh, achievement in the 1990 mm-hmm. version. I, I think yeah. I, I have never heard anybody say anything disparaging or negative about that performance. It's incredible, right? I mean, we all love Tim Curry's Pennywise, don't we? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and even even watching it, like revisiting it and stuff, like, yeah, some of the special effects might not hold up the same or whatever, wow. but it's still scary. I mean, Pennywise still works. And and yes. I I remember being bummed. When I when I saw the casting for this, that you know they didn't end up you know getting him again, but uh, I will say, Bill Skarsgård's Pennywise, incredible! I was blown yeah. away, and I'm yeah. I'm gonna get yelled at. I already got yelled at on Twitter for this. I actually liked this new Pennywise better. It's different, mm. but I liked it better. What did you? What say I, you guys? I. I really, I really liked it as well. Better, I don't know. I might have to see the movie uh, another again. 
um, to say better than Tim Curry because you know Tim Curry is is who you think of when you think of Pennywise for mm-hmm. for all these years. Yes. Um, but I don't have. I mean, I thought that that sewer scene at the very beginning was. I mean, just just the, the sort of voice he came up with for it, you know, and yeah. and the way he was, he, he, oh, popcorn's my favorite too, you know, that whole thing. It, it, you're just like, wow, he's really drawn this kid in, you know. He's really yeah. gave this mm-hmm. kid has gotten past the what the hell is this clown doing in the sewer? <laughs> you know, he's gotten past that because he's sort of engaged this kid, and and you can see how he did it. Um, yes. No, I have I have no complaints about about the new Pennywise. Better than Tim Curry, I can't quite go there yet, just because, like I said, I have to see it again. Okay, what about but, you? Sorry, go ahead, yeah. Doug. Sorry. No, I was going to say, but but it's it's it was a really it was a really strong performance. Mm-hmm. Wait, what yeah. say you, Carl? I, I'm kind of the same way. Um, I, I really have a hard time letting go of Tim Curry's performance, but, but I like the way that Bill Skarsgård, I, I felt like his Pennywise was a tad more menacing. Um, and, and I, and I liked that. I, I liked the idea that it, this is a clown and, and that, and that it's luring these kids in, but, but you know, the, the kids can see him for who he really is. Like he's never 100% convincing as a clown. And, and, Sometimes when I watch Tim Curry, I feel like he's a little more, a little more convincing as a, as a clown. Uh-huh. He's a little less menace, maybe. I don't know how to say it, but, mm-hmm. but Bill Skarsgård struck me as a little more, a little more evil. Yeah. He um, looks evil. Yeah. He does. Mm-hmm. And I would agree with that. I'd, I'd agree. Mm-hmm. I think he is. I think he is a little more evil. There's no doubt. Um, and and some of what Tim Curry, I guess, does in sort of the second half of the 1990 film, um, it, it, it's like he's very, he's very, he's a killer clown at the, at the beginning. And then uh, as it gets into the, I don't want to get too deep into the 90 film, because I know there's probably people who haven't seen it, but when he gets into the, into like dealing with them more as the adults, it's almost like he's just more of a menace than he is yeah. uh, an actual dangerous evil clown and i don't i'm not putting that on tim curry to be honest with you i don't think that has anything to do with tim curry's performance i think it's just sort of the way that that story went that that film went um but i mean no you're afraid of you're you're afraid of pennywise in the 90 film uh for that first part i mean he's a scary character Mm -hmm. Uh, but but in this movie and in this movie uh, that's the same feeling you get from um uh, who's at Bill Skarsgård? Mm-hmm. I really want to see what they do now. I'm very anxious to see how they do it in Chapter Two. I know it says at the end of this movie, Chapter One. Yes, and there is a Chapter Two coming. I'll be very interested to see how he ha- how he's handled in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I yeah. agree. The little factoid that I thought was really kind of fascinating. I noticed that. Um, Bill Skarsgård was actually born in 1990, the same year that the original film released. So that's kind oh, of cool. Interesting. That, yeah, that's, that's interesting. awesome. Yeah, like that. That's just a weird coincidence. And then, um, <laughs> uh, the other thing, talking about the the opening sewer scene with Georgie, I just I have to celebrate that performance there that Bill Skarsgård gives because there, if you watch this, and and I saw that in that little. 
like five minute preview that they gave and it freaked me out then it freaks me out again mm-hmm. he yep. there's a lot of nuance to that because we we you know we get people who know anything about it he's an eater of children right like he <laughs> he, he wants to snack on georgie and basically um <laughs> Like the, the fact that, as Dave said, he's he's luring the kid in and he's trying to figure out ways to like, you know, attract him. And and then you can see it on his face where the, like the carnal creature, the beast within him kind of gets distracted and he starts kind of like thinking it, it you at least to me, I read it that way. You, it yeah, appears no, that he's I, thinking about like he gets distracted by eating the kid and then he has to mm-hmm. get, turn back on his game again and focus Right. It's no, there's. Yeah, I, I know. I know what you mean. I, I got that feeling too. And and it's one of those. It's one of those things where you can see. You know, you can see Georgie. That you can see any kid sort of being taken in by the way he is and what he's saying. Mm-hmm. But it's the immediate, like as an adult, immediate red flags. Like this is not a good person. <laughs> you know, as an adult sitting there because you you know that there's an innocence in the child that that likes this. He's not going to think this anything negative about this clown. He's just like, you know, and, and they even address, you know, what are you doing down in the sewer and things like that. But uh, you, it's, it's, it's just, you're sitting there going, get out of there. You're saying turn and run, get out of there. Yeah. Yeah. And you got that. In the, you got that in the 90 movie too. You did. You yeah. got that in the 90 movie as well. Sure. You're like, get out of there. This is, this is a bad situation, but yes, definitely with him, just the way he's like, oh, there's so much down here and, and cotton candy. And he goes, popcorn? And popcorn, your favorite? It's mine, mm-hmm. too. And I don't yeah. remember that from the 90 film. It's been a long time <laughs> since I've seen it. But I don't remember that specific exchange mm. in the 90 film. Because that's just like the kid. He's like, oh, boy, you know, that this you know, that, that just drew him in a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and that's, that's, the, that's the scary element about this. Because, um, you, you know, just, just how... He knows how to. He knows how to talk to these kids. He knows how to talk to to that age of a child, and mm-hmm. and um and you know he's done it many times before. I totally agree. What? How did you feel? So like some of the pushback I've gotten in praising this film, um, some people are saying that there's a lot of CGI, and I agree there is a lot yes, of CGI. Yes, there is. But I mm-hmm. I yeah. do think it's fairly well done. What did you think about it, Carl? I thought it was well done. I. Sometimes I find CGI just a little distracting, but mm-hmm. but you know I was I was drawn in. I was I was all in with my experience. I I really don't don't have any complaints about the CGI. I'm I'm good with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in so. terms of like I mean, just comparing the effect, and I know that for some people the 1990 version is precious. So I'm I'm. So, you know, I don't want to attack, I'm not attacking that version because I love that version too, but I'm just saying that comparing sure. it in, through today's lens, you know, where we have pretty decent effects available. I mean, those dated effects versus, you know, even a, an abundance of CGI, I still think this one wins out in terms of effects. That's all. I mean, that's where yeah, I'm coming I, from. I, I, you know, and it's, I always like the, pra- I always love practical effects more. And I, cause I think you can, in certain movies, especially low budget films, it, it looks better to do practical than it does to you do CGI. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This mo- movie actually obviously had the money to throw at it. So right. I thought it was, I thought it was decently done as well. Yes. There's a lot of CGI. 
I don't dislike CGI just because I don't just to just to sort of diss on CGI saying, well, that was done CGI and that was done CGI. Yes. Um, if it's done well, it enhances a movie, but it has to be a movie where they have a lot of money to throw at it. Right. You know, yeah. if they don't, if they have 10, if they have $5 million to throw at CGI, it's not going to look good. <laughs> if they have $40 million to throw at CGI, it's going to look a lot better. I don't know what the final budget was in this movie. I'm guessing they threw a lot of money at the CGI because it looked, it was good. It, it was, it was good. It, it looked uh, impressive. And I don't, again, I've only seen it once. I may be going back and looking again. I could say, oh yeah, I could kind of see the, you know, that one maybe wasn't as good, you know, uh, as I thought it was. The budget um, was uh, $35 million according to oh, Box Office all. Mojo. Oh, well, that's, that's, um, and that's still high. Yeah, you I know, mean. For a horror movie. Yeah, because usually movie it's. a that's still high, and, and obviously they had the money to, to put into the special effects. I mean, the 1990 version, there were a lot of stars in that film. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially for that time period. Mm-hmm. There sure. were a lot of a, a, a decent sized name stars in that movie. Um, this one, I don't think not as much. I don't know if the budget, you know, as much of the budget went toward the cast Mm-mm. this time around. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm guessing it did not. Um, so I'm guessing they had a lot more money available for the CGI. But they, regardless, they made it look good. Yeah, you know they they put enough into it to make it look good. They didn't just say, "Hey, you know, we're ju- just put whatever's up there" because they knew it had to look good. Right. Because there is a lot, and you could tell there's a lot. They they do. There's a lot of things in here that you just you could do practically, but you could tell they weren't done practically. Yeah. Well, yeah. and and speaking of budget, there. Um, just real quick, I just wanted to say that. Yeah, I I think what an average decent budget horror film is what probably a, a million or less right so that was like probably 30 well, i mean yeah i mean for, yeah i mean yes I, I i like a lot of i don't know what it was like for like like look look at um the uh the texas chainsaw massacre film that came out recently oh okay yeah a few years ago mm-hmm. you know what what the budget was on that okay um I, i'm thinking maybe that one might have been maybe around 10 million or something i'm guessing I don't even know. Okay. Yeah, I'm just But uh, that had that had that was uh, like I thought a really good horror movie but the CGI in that got a little bit shaky at times. Yeah. I am with you. So Texas Chainsaw 3D, right? That's the one you wanted from uh tw- 2013, was it? Yeah. I, I believe yeah. yeah. So that Yeah, they didn't give us a number on that budget on oh, Box Office Mojo. Oh. <laughs> okay. But All right. But yeah, like uh, like for example, I I did look up when I was thinking about this. I looked up the Conjuring budget, for example, which is a which is a great looking horror film, right? I mean, there's n- mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that, and that that had a twenty million dollar budget, so okay. it's pretty good. But but yeah, I mean, yeah. part of it probably w- went to like it being a period piece. I mean that that really oh definitely that aspect turned out well. But but I think the big news story in terms of like figures and dollars on this is just very exciting this broke all sorts of records it had a um, domestic total of a hundred and well now at this point um it's 143 million (laughs) when we're recording this but when i recorded our movie podcast weekly review it was like right at the end of the weekend it was like 123 million which is incredible wow i mean that's really good record breaking and so um it, it's it's so exciting for 
a horror film to do that kind of um, numbers. Let me see here what, what Box Office Mojo said. It says, the horror film's debut was the widest opening ever for an R-rated film and delivered the second largest opening for an R-rated movie behind Deadpool, which is... Wow. So, wow. so that's great. Fantastic. Okay, so Carl, I know that you you like to talk about theme, and I do too. I mean, that's one of my favorite things. I think we should dive into that before we gotta let you go. With this monster, I I like to talk about the nature of monsters, and and this isn't a spoiler for people who aren't as familiar with this, but you know, Pennywise. I mean, this creature, this beastly freak, can it's a monster that can appear as whatever your biggest fear is, and so yeah, um. Now, do you think, and this is going to be inflammatory, so I just want to warn you ahead of time. <laughs> do you think, <laughs> do you think that um, that's kind of a cop out concept for Stephen King to do, or do you think it's a stroke of genius? Um, I think it's more of a stroke of genius. I mean, because when he wrote it, at kind of. Um, he was, it was what the mid eighties when he, when it appeared, I think it was 86. Mm-hmm. And so he'd already been enjoying a lot of success for a lot of years and he'd been working out. Um, so like, I think he's been trying to work, work out what a monster is in his writing for a lot of years. And I think that it, the novel represents his sense that monsters are just a theme um, and variation is like variations on a theme. It's like what I'm trying to say is that instead of he writes like a werewolf story, a vampire story, a blah, blah, blah story, you know, creature from the black lagoon, Loch Ness monster, whatever, instead of just doing monster, 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 he's basically saying all monsters are manifestations of our worst fears. So in it, he's just going to say, this is what I'm going to do. So, so a clown isn't going to scare everybody. So I'm going to let the clown shift into a leper or whatever the, you know, whatever the case may be mm-hmm. so that he can basically say that all monsters are really our worst nightmares, but catered to us specifically. Does that make sense? Well said. Yes. I love that. <laughs> I love that. And in fact, I think that because of this film's budget and thanks in part to the availability of CGI, I think that they were able to execute on that whole premise even better in this film because mm-hmm. that was one thing I noticed upon revisiting the 1990 version that they don't riff on that opportunity as much as you would right. think. So, which is probably due to budget restrictions, but anyways. Yeah. I really liked, I I really liked the leper. I mean, I didn't always like the way the leper looked. I thought sometimes the CGI looked a little goofy on the leper, but mm-hmm. The, the thing is, is that the leper is in the book and, and I wanted to see the leper. I wanted, I didn't want this just to be about the clown. I wanted the clown to do a lot of different things. And, and I felt like they really did a good job with that. Um, can I, can I say one thing about the 27 version, 2017 version that I thought was a little disappointing? Please do, um, please. Mm-hmm. And that... I don't, I, this isn't a hard criticism because I really love the film and I'm sticking with that, but I, I was a little surprised that they didn't have Mike um, be the the historian. You know, they had... The yeah, that band. was an interesting That was an interesting change. Yeah, they didn't do it. Yeah. They did it differently. 
so I, I wasn't sure what the motivation was there, and I and I felt and I thought Mike was a pretty interesting character when he's when he is working at the cattle ranch or whatever, and he has to kill those you know with the I don't know the name of the tool, but he had to kill those those animals or whatever. I thought that was mm-hmm. pretty interesting to get that sense, but I I, I, uh, I really missed seeing him as the town historian and and he, he being the one trying to figure out these patterns. The book does a great job with that, where it has these interludes where you actually read sections from Mike. Mike is basically writing a book about the history of dairy, and in the novel they have these breakaway moments where you read his reflections on what he thinks is going on and, and the pattern, and and he's trying to figure all this out. It's it's beautifully done, and, and I, I'm hoping, I don't know what they'll do in Chapter 2, but uh, that was a... For me, that was a missed opportunity, but uh, I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah, you had you had the newest uh, resident of Derry is the one who's looking into everything. Yeah, yeah, and maybe that maybe that's what the audience needs. Maybe that we we need because we're new to Derry in a sense. Maybe we needed him to be the guide. Um, maybe they thought we'd be more interested in that, but uh, I don't know. That was something that I, that stood out to me. No, I kind of, and I did always, I did always like that from the '90 film as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was, he was the catalyst. He was the one who stayed in town. He was the one who um, reminded everybody about their, you know, the the the, the promise they made and. Um, right. You know, I I did like that about that character. I did. Yeah, exactly. And it was uh, the name of the actor in the 1990. Oh, it's Tim Reed. Yes, uh, actor from uh, WKRP. Right? WK Venus Flytrap <laughs> from WKRP in Cincinnati. He was also in a really good movie. Oh God, what was it called? It was Frank's Place, I think it was. It, uh, not movie, television show. I'm sorry, TV show called Frank's Place. Um, huh. Set in uh, Louise, uh, New Orleans. Huh. Um, which he was. Cool. He was a very. It was. He was good in that as well. But now, when you see him, you think immediately. You think, I do too. I think WKRP in Cincinnati. Yeah. It's like you can't, I can't see Howard Hessman without thinking WKRP in Cincinnati. Oh, no, it's impossible. Yeah, he's, mm-hmm. yeah, great show. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I had a, upon revisiting the 1990 version, I had trouble uh, not thinking of um, Harry Stone from Night Court with yeah, Richie. Yeah, you know, Harry like, Stone. You had, oh, yeah, you had, you had right. Jack, Jack Tripper from Three's Company. You had, um, yeah, exactly. You had a lot of uh, these, and then of course you had John Boy from The Waltons. You had a lot of from these the Waltons, uh, yeah. television actors, and 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 I wonder if, I, and I could, you know, that that was something they, I mean, they still do it if they can get stars to sort of fill these roles, but I wonder if that was, and I guess we can get into this a little bit more, but looking at it now, it might be a little more of a distraction. Mm-hmm. I think having so. those kind of guy, having those, right. that level of actors or, or people who are known in, in those roles, that yeah. could be a little bit of a distraction. I'm interested to see how they're going to cast the next one. I'm guessing they were waiting for the results of this one before they even put the next one into production. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Is it in production or did they already commit? I mean, I, it's going to be made. There's no doubt about it now. It's going to be made. Oh yeah. But I'm deal. wondering if if they've if they've done anything with it, and when is it to be released? Like, when are they planning to release it, or my, or were, were they just was everything just hinging on how does this movie do? My understanding is it's going to be 2018, and I bet it'll be October 2018. Um, Probably, yeah. unless I'm wrong, but I think I think that's a real possibility. Well, if they were if they were if they were smart, they'd release it around the same time in September. It certainly didn't hurt them. <laughs> Yeah, seriously yes 
Absolutely. So just a couple more things, and then we're going to let Carl go for the evening. But, um, Carl, I just got to ask you something, and I'll probably lose a lot of horror cred for this, but I, I've never been quite clear on it, and I, I actually tried to... Uh, this time around upon revisiting the 1990 film, I tried to get the answer to this because I've always wondered and I've heard different theories, but, and, and I honestly, I don't believe that this is a spoiler because it's, we're talking about the nature of Pennywise, the monster. Okay. Sure. So we don't have to go in depth about his background or anything, but I just want to know, like in terms of what he actually is, they refer to him, I've seen him referred to with this new version as a demon. Now, now, is he a demon or some sort of alien? Like, what what generic monster name is he? In the, you know, in the book, they, uh, they call him a glamour, um, hmm. which I can't remember what nation. Glamour is, it's like a shape-shifting creature. I can't remember from what tradition... They they do they do suggest he's from outer space, mm-hmm. but the kids the kids don't want him just to be an alien. It's almost like he's this outside. He's an. It's like he's from beyond and and from outside human understanding and and he's almost Lovecraftian if we want to say that he's he's beyond human wisdom and and logic and and came at the beginning of the earth and so he's kind of a devil figure but he's not like a christian devil he's more like a like a like it's it's almost hard to say he's just he's just he's just it right right Right. yeah that's that's interesting because i remember um i i said earlier on our steve our other stephen king shows that we had that my dad was a huge reader of the novels and the way my dad characterized him for me was that he was an alien that could shapeshift yeah. basically and then lately I've heard people calling him a demon so I just wondered if that was a change or whatever but but it did say in the book that he was from outer space did it alluded yeah. to that yeah it does allude to that the kids um, they, they, they do this it's called the smoke hole ritual where they one of the kids reads about it in a, in a book about native Americans. And so they try it where they, they dig a hole and they, and they basically create smoke and they inhale the smoke and they have a vision. Mm -hmm. And in the vision, they see Pennywise kind of landing on earth in a way. And they, and they get a sense of, of that he's from outside, that he's from beyond, that he's this principle of evil that just exists in the world. And, and, uh, Stephen King doesn't explain it in great detail, but he, mm-hmm. I think he wants us to get the idea that, that this is just, this is a force that's hard to label and hard to understand. Right. Two last things from me, and then I'll shut up for the, the evening on this. Upon revisiting the 1990 version, I couldn't help but think of uh, Mystic River, the Clint Eastwood film from 2003. It has a very similar type of structure um, you know, the, the Pennywise being isn't quite the same, but you've got like, you know, these, these kids who were, um, afflicted and there was a tragedy and then later they're reunited as adults again. And I, I, I think that whole mystic river parallel is very interesting with this. Did you guys think of that movie or do you see that in common? 
I, I got to be honest, I didn't. I mean, I see where you're coming from, but I didn't make that connection uh, right off. Yeah, that, that's just fascinating. I did, yeah, I didn't either, but uh, it's a great connection. I think, um, I mean, it's, you know, watch the, watch them again and, and put it together. I think you'll find a lot of a lot of good things there. Yeah, I mean, I Definitely. think, Carl, if I think we could write a paper that, that like, uh, you know, parallels the two because there's actually still that same theme as well of like child abuse and and, and, mm-hmm. and so forth so it's 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 fascinating to me right the the last shout out i wanted to give um is for the director of this film andy muschietti uh, and i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right muschietti um he was also the director of mama do you guys remember mama from oh yeah yeah i actually I remember, saw that. I remember when it came out but that's it del toro is that the del toro produced that would be the one you mean or um, um uh, maybe yeah. i don't know if he produced it or not I, maybe yeah I, it, I you're right he did it says okay. presented by guillermo del toro creator of pan's labyrinth but yeah he was um written and directed by um andy and uh barbara i wonder if that's his wife or his sister starring jessica chastain that wasn't a bad film at all i actually enjoyed mama and so that's the same director here and to be be honest with you, this film was so masterfully done, and I and I mean that. I hope I hope he returns for the chapter two. I hope he gets to do it. Yes. But any other, it'll it'll, it'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. What are you gonna say, Carl? Um, I was gonna say I'm just looking this up real quick because the one of the crew, um, it, I think he's Korean and he. And he works with the, on the Korean horrors. Um, maybe someone can look it up, and and uh, one of the listeners. I'm wondering if it's the. I wonder if it's the cinematographer because I noticed. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the cinematographer, and he worked on like. Um, I'm trying to pull it up on IMDb, and I just am not finding the crew. Oh, yeah, Chun Hoon Chung, the director of cinematography. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What else has he done? Does he, I, I just clicked on it here. Let's see. He's done... Uh, old Boy. Stoker. Oh, Old Boy. Yeah, there you and go. Maiden. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Three, uh, this uh, segment in Three Extremes. So, yeah, Lady mm. Vengeance. Oh, yeah. Thirst. See, mm-hmm. see, this is a guy with... This is a guy with uh, really impeccable horror credentials. And, and a lot of Korean... If I'm thinking... If he is from the Korean tradition, I'm not sure, but a lot of these Korean horror films are so beautiful. And then one of the things about about it is that it just looks so good. Like he, he's clearly it bringing does. an mm-hmm. eye uh, to the craft. I mean, the directing and the cinematography, everything is so well done that it's a, it's a class act. Yeah, agree one hundred percent. I I agree as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's let's. Let's move into our ratings then and recommendations, and let's start off, if you don't mind, let's rate the 1990 version, and if you, if you guys would do me a favor, it's say, let's say the listeners out there have not seen either version yet, because I actually had this happen at work, and um, so the, people say, well, what, which one should I see first? And, and here's what I think. I, I think that those who grew up with the 1990 version you saw it and you've had it all these years it's kind of grandfathered in with most people 
Um, I love and appreciate it. I think Tim Curry's performance is worthy of your attention. It's worthy of seeing. And so I think because of, you know, it being a made for television production, it was like TV 14, you know, like the rate it's, it's appropriate for TV. And because it's dated now, I think that in order to preserve your appreciation of that original film, if that's what you hope to experience when you first see it, then I do think those people should see that first um, because it's great. I mean, for me, that one is a six out of 10. I call it a, a, a strong rental recommendation. I'd, I'd be happy to recommend that to anybody. Um, I think it's fantastic. And so, but if you're the type of person who, you know, only wants to watch this story once basically, or, you know, you want to, or you want to be surprised by it and you haven't read the book and you just want to see what happens and experience it, then it might be fun to just go into this 2017 film and have your head knocked off, you know, by this, but because this is much, this is a hard R rating to me. It's much stronger. It goes much farther. And uh, for me, this 2017 version is a 9.5 out of 10. I think it's masterful. Wow. It is nearly perfect to me. And my favorite aspect about it is how it is filled with horror elements and aspects of horror. It's much like Pet Cemetery in that way because there, there's so many different degrees of horror from the abuse, the child abuse, sexual abuse, like bullying. Like there are so many awful aspects that, that classify to horror as me. I think it's just tremendous. So 9.5, must see, it's a buy it. Okay, um, Carl, what do you say? Give us your preface about like the 90 version, your rating on that, and um, you know everything else. Which one should they see first? So I think, I think any fan of, of Stephen King or It should definitely see the miniseries, but because it's out there and available, I would say... Go see the 2017 one in the theater with the crowd. Sit back, relax, enjoy that, and then catch up to the miniseries, um, you know, a little bit later. Um, and definitely watch the miniseries for Tim Curry. Um, the miniseries is great, but I can see how not everyone was is going to is going to jive with it. I would probably give it a six out of ten, like you did. Um, and I would definitely, I would give the 2017 a nine out of 10. I'd see it in the theater. Don't wait for it to come out on video. Go see it now. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then with the miniseries, just, you know, if it doesn't strike your fancy right away, give it a little time, watch it slowly, let it, let it kind of bring you in. And it's, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy both of them. So Yeah. Now, do you tell people to buy the 1990 version or just rent it? Well, I tell people to buy it, but partly because I'm pretty sure it's, it's, I'm pretty sure it's cheap. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, you can find it everywhere right now. That's, that's yeah. for sure. Okay. And, and do you tell people to buy this new version when it hits Blu-ray? Buy it, yeah. Pre-order it. Whatever you got to do, it's it's definitely a buyer. So love it. Okay, thank you, Carl. That's great. All right, Dave. What what's your take? Um, it's been a long time since I've seen the original it, but I'm a big fan of it. Uh, I'd go probably even with the original. I'd say probably an eight out of ten. 
I think it's a buy. I think it's I think it's worth picking up. Um, but I think you can get this new version as well because it does delve into a lot of other areas, you know, and, and it, it takes the story in different directions uh, than the 90 film did. But uh, this new one, I mean, even though I'm like an eight on the original, I'm, I'm probably going to be a nine on this new one, you know, after one viewing. And honestly, can't wait to see it again, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, 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 to see... A, how it holds up, and B, well, no, just mostly how it holds up. Uh, and especially when they come out with part two, because I think one of the weaker elements of the 90 version is that second half. I'm, I shouldn't say weak, just not as not as strong as the first half. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the second half of, of the 90 it. Uh, so it's going to be interesting with this new film because... They're going to be the same characters, but now we're going to have to have a whole different group of actors mm-hmm. come in and now play these same characters as adults. You know, there was a one of the ways, you know, you touched on the way they did it in the 90 version of we see them older than a flashback, older than a flashback. So there was kind of that connection and acceptance of, okay, here they are young, here they are older. It's going to be really interesting because the kids were so good in this movie to then have to get used to these characters again with a whole new group of actors in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'm interested to see how that's gonna how that's gonna play out. How what they're gonna do um, for that second one? Are they gonna show some flashbacks this time that show the kids, um, you know, just to incorporate them back into the movie because they're such a, a big part of this one? Yeah, uh, I don't know. It'll be it'll be interesting. <laughs> and um, because they're growing, Dave, right? This so fast, they probably need to film that like right away, like at the same yeah, time they like, film the other like stuff. They should be doing it already. Yeah, right. But um, so, yeah, I'd say an eight for the original. I'd say a nine for the new one. And both are a buy. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I said, I'm I'm looking I'm really looking forward to seeing the 2017 one uh, again as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, I'm I am certain we're going to be talking about this film uh, quite a bit more uh, through the rest of this year, because when Wolfman Josh returns to us. We'll be getting his take on it, of course. And then at the end of the year, I'm sure this is going to yeah. end up in some top 10 lists, if I had to guess. Mm-hmm. So we'll be talking right. about it more. But we'd love to hear from the listeners as well. Um, here momentarily, we got some um, early listener feedback, which we'll go into. But before that, we just want to invite you to leave your comments in the show notes for episode 127. We'd love to get your feedback on it from 2017. Carl, you have been, once again, just very generous with your time and your knowledge. We're so grateful that you joined yes, us thank tonight. You. Thank you. Thank you for being Great here. Great to talk to you guys. Thank you so much. This mm-hmm. has been so much fun. Yeah, we we tried to figure out ways to lure you onto the podcast because I'm, a, I'm always a big fan of when you're here. And uh, tell the yeah. listeners, if you have any, if there's anything you that they could check out of yours, anything where they could catch up with you online. You got any plugs for us? Uh, not tonight. I, uh, okay. Age of Lovecraft is the latest book, but that's been out about a year now, and it's been doing pretty good. But uh, I'm on Twitter uh, at Carl Cedarholm, and people can follow me, and I occasionally retweet funny things or try to put in a couple little witty things here and there. But uh, mm-hmm. I've been so busy lately, my online presence is a little is a little uh, quiet. So, Okay. 
But yeah, I hope people follow our friend Carl here on Twitter. Give him a shout out. And uh, if you appreciated hearing him on this episode, you know, tell him so. So uh, anyways, thanks again for being here, Carl. And we'll catch up with you very soon, sir. You got it. Thanks (laughs) to both of you. (laughs) And we'll talk again. Okay, real quick before we wrap up the show, as always, we um, we often have to record things a little bit out of order due to people's schedules and, and people's times that they have to get up and go to work. And so, but uh, there were lots of positive comments and feedback already about the 2017 It Chapter One. And I just wanted to highlight uh, just a couple things here really quick. And obviously, we hope to get a lot more feedback on this episode and hear what everybody thinks. So we'll be we'll be talking more about it, you know, especially when we hear from Wolfman Josh, as I said earlier. But there is one comment I really want to read to you. This comes from Jacob. He's on Twitter at Test Pattern Show. And he says, hey, guys, it's Jacob from this podcast, but this is not a promotional thing. I just wanted to say that I've been listening to your show for years now. My personal account is at Bandrum, B-A-N-E-D-R-O-M, and I've been a loyal listener since you guys covered Exists in your Bigfoot episode way, way back. I know I don't interact much, but as a fellow podcaster, I know you guys can understand how little time I have after getting out from behind the mic. (laughs) Amen to that, Jacob. I don't know when you're covering it 2017, and I don't know if you're even looking for reviews, but from one horror fan to a podcast that downright inspired me to jump into podcasting, I wanted to share my thoughts with you guys just because I have the utmost respect for all three of you. In fact, Josh and I have a mutual connection in another podcaster who worked production with him a few years back. Anyways, so I went to see the new movie yesterday afternoon, but I feel like my experience requires a bit of a backstory. So this summer was the summer of it. I read the book for the first time in over 20 years. The last time I read it, I was about 11 or 12 years old. It affected me so much back then, and even more so now, I was so much acutely aware of all the depth and detail that I missed on my first read. To say that the book affected me is an understatement. I dreamed about it. I thought about it so much. All the things I missed or didn't appreciate when I was younger snapped into extreme clarity. The history of Derry added a whole new dimension of its legacy. As soon as I finished, I went back and watched the miniseries for the first time in probably five or six years. It was profoundly disappointing. Tim Curry's performance was still great, and some of the best quotes from the series are delivered by him. However, the pace at which the miniseries moves through the story takes away from the sheer magnitude of the source material. That all brought me to yesterday. I took a half day at work so I would be able to seek solace in a quiet, darkened theater, and it was worth it. I drove 40 miles to an affluent area, not that I live in poor town, so that I could capitalize on all the people who would be at work or school and have as much solitude to enjoy this film. It was worth it. (laughs) I love that, Jacob. It's great. As the film began and the score picked up, a score which I will be purchasing for sure, and the opening scene began, I knew I was going to be pleased. For weeks before, I had been preparing myself for major plot deviations, and that allowed me to take this movie in for a separate entity, and that was a wise decision. It allowed me to enjoy the film in its own right. I was uh, trepidatious as the film started proper, after Georgie's unfortunate demise because of the stark differences. Having slept on it, I can say that I truly enjoyed Muschietti's vision. Skarsgård's Pennywise was so bizarre and frightening. 
This was truly a film for horror fans. I can only hope that the community can overlook alternative interpretations and portrayals of the Losers Club that we have come to love to seek solace from its presence and can see this movie for what it is. It is indeed a great horror film. That's right, Jacob. I totally agree with you 100% and I back you on that, brother. So uh, everybody make sure you check out Jacob at Test Pattern Show. I'm going to have to check that out as well. And we appreciate the comments. Thanks for sending that in. And um, we hope to hear from more listeners as well. We want to hear what you thought of it. And uh, we'll be talking about that in a future episode. Okay, well, that just about wraps up episode 127 of Horror Movie Podcast, our creepy killer clowns episode, It Versus. Dave, it was awesome to have Carl Cederholm here. I really appreciate Absolutely. him. He's like our um, our other Kyle Bishop to me. Yeah, I agree. That's, mm-hmm. that's how I look at him as well. And I think that uh, imagine having him and Kyle on the same show. Oh man, there would be that would be really epic. Oh, there'd yeah, be fireworks be awesome. and stuff. So mm-hmm. it'd be incredible. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, we gotta send Dave off to to bedtime so he can dream about killer clowns and such. And so, Dave. Tell the listeners where they can catch up with you on the internet. Sure. Uh, you can stop by at DVDinfatuation.com. I'm on Twitter at DVDinfatuation. Facebook page as well. You just have to search on DVDinfatuation. Uh, I have an Instagram account also. If you want to uh, head over there, I'm just starting to get a little more used to that. And posting a little more regularly over there as well. And of course, I have several other podcasts. I'm on the Universal Monsters cast with like, Gilman Joel and Wolfman Josh. Uh, the We Deal in Lead podcast with Matt and Jay, which is, um, we are planning our third episode. We're going to be recording it soon. We're going to go back to a movie from the uh, 60s, uh, Western from the 60s we're going to be taking a look at. Well, a very well-known one. And uh, of course, Land of the Creeps with uh, you know, Greg Amortis, Hanfield Hatchet, Jesse Robbins, uh, Justin Beams on there occasionally, which is just a lot of fun. And we're going back to continue our look at the movies of the 70s. We're into 1972, where each of us will be picking a movie from that year to review. Nice. Um, so, yeah, check them out. We sure will. As for me, I hope you'll check out Movie Podcast Weekly, which is uh, the clown car. Not a horror clown, not a creepy killer clown, but just... The clown car of movie podcasting. <laughs> it's silly. But we review new movies that are um, brand new in theaters, 2017 films. So if you like all genres, including horror, of course, we cover that stuff over there on moviepodcastweekly.com. I want to thank everyone who tuned in to uh, listen to this episode. We love your comments. So make sure you uh, let us know your thoughts in episode 127 there in the show notes the comments and um get involved in our community we have a great community of people you can also email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com and we have a voicemail line at 801-382-8789 you can find all our episodes for horror movie podcast as well as the episodes for the weekly horror movie podcast and horror metropolis at our website horrormoviepodcast.com You can subscribe free in iTunes and leave us a review. We would love that. And you can also follow us on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. We're also on Instagram. I want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for our Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at FrederickIngram.com. And we'd also like to thank Kagan Breitenbach for his classical reworking of Fred's original theme. You can find more of Kagan's work at KaganBreitenbach.com. 
Those will be linked in the show notes as always. And I think that's just about it for episode 127. We thank you for listening and join us again Friday after next for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror.